I remember a commercial from the 1990s, 1992 to be exact. It was a Gatorade commercial. And this Gatorade commercial had a theme to it. It starred a certain basketball player, in some people's opinions, the greatest basketball player of all time. I'm not a big basketball fan, but I can recognize greatness when I see it. This commercial starred Michael Jordan. It was a 60-second long commercial, and it was called Be Like Mike. Had a little theme song. It was a minute long. And it went like this. I got to make sure I get the lyrics right. Okay. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You've got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream I move. I dream I groove like Mike. If I could be like Mike. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Everybody remembers it? Where are my Bulls fans out? Any Bulls fans? Like I said, I'm not a big basketball fan, not a Bulls fan actually at all, uh, but I can recognize greatness when I see it, like when I look in the mirror. Um, but uh, that's not funny. That's, no? No? Okay. All right. Well, I, I think about the theme song, you know, the, the Like Mike theme song, and I came up with my own version. Okay? So I came up with my version of Be Like Mike. Um, uh, sometimes I dream that I am he. Yes, that's how rich I want to be. That I could shop until I drop like Mike. I want to be rich like Mike. Like Mike. I want to be rich like Mike. I want to be, I want to be. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is that me? Was I, was I singing? <laughs> anyway, uh, so, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think about heroes. And maybe you have a hero in your life. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you have some heroes in your life. And, you know, it's Father's Day weekend. Maybe your dad is your hero. My dad is one of my heroes. My dad is one of my favorite people on the planet. And uh, my dad is one of my heroes. Um, I've often said this about my father, that when I was growing up, my dad was like the dumbest guy on the planet. And now he's one of the smartest people I know. Who, may, who moved? Who changed, right? This guy changed. My dad is still the same awesome person he always was. But me, I just woke up. And I realized some things, that my dad is my hero. I want to be like him in a lot of ways. My dad is an encourager. And I know he's watching right now. He's probably crying in his living room, but it's true. But, but it's true. My dad is an encourager. He's an encouraging person. He's an encouraging man. And maybe you've been encouraged by my father. If you are a Facebook friend of his, then you have been encouraged by my dad at some point just the way he is. And that's how I want to be. I want to be like my dad. Forget like Mike. I want to be like my dad. He's one of my heroes. And maybe you have a hero in your life. Maybe you have some heroes. Maybe uh, it was a teacher when you were growing up. Maybe you have a hero uh, who was a teacher. Or maybe you have a hero who was a pastor, you know, a, a preacher, uh, a minister, uh, was your hero growing up, you know. Um, maybe, uh, maybe it was um, your parents. It could have been your mom, your dad. Uh, could have been if you were raised in a single uh, parent household. Maybe it is your mom who was both mom and dad, or maybe it's your dad who was both dad and mom. You know, we all have people that we aspire to be. We have people that we want to be like, and people who we look up to. People that we, well, they're our heroes. Now, I want to talk to you tonight about a man who was a hero. He's a hero of faith. 
And in the book of Acts, chapter 6, we read about the story of a man named Stephen. And this sermon is called Be Like Steve. And we're going to talk about why we should be like Steve here in just a little bit. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 6. We are in the middle of a series that is called Unleashed. And this series is all about the book of Acts. It's a week-by-week, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Acts. It's 28 weeks long, and we are in week 6. So we've got a long way to go in the book of Acts. And so this, this uh, book of Acts series is all about the principles of the early church and how we can take first century principles and apply them to 21st century church. And how they did church back then is how we're going to do church now. Now, of course, not everything translates from first century to 21st century, uh, but there are some principles of how they did church in the first century that we can learn about and how we do church in the 21st century. And there are some people that we've met along the way, Peter and John, uh, a, a man who was uh, crippled from birth and he was healed and, and how that miraculous happening changed everything for the church and how it, it made things different. Uh, and today we're going to talk about Stephen. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Acts 6. If you don't have a Bible, you can use one on your phone. There's different Bible apps like YouVersion or Bible Gateway, or you can get the GFCC app out. Uh, if you haven't gotten the GFCC app yet, you can go to your app store, search for GFCC, and you can download the app to your phone or your tablet or your device, uh, and you can follow along in the GFCC app for that, uh, for the sermon notes. And you can also give your tithes and offerings. You can do all kinds of cool stuff with the app, get push notifications. It's very handy. So we're in Acts chapter 6, and this is uh, the story of Stephen. But before we get to the story of Stephen, we've got to see that there was a problem. The early church came across their first problem. Things had been going great. People were united. People were doing amazing things. They were selling property and giving the money to the apostles to give to people who were in need. I mean, it was really, things were great in the church until this problem arose in Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. And so I'm going to grab my Bible and we're going to look at Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, give me one second here, in those days when the numbers of, number of disciples was increasing, remember, it had gone from 12 apostles to 120 believers to 3,000 believers to over 5,000 men who were believers, and it's growing day by day. It's growing exponentially. The church is growing and growing and growing. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, those are the twelve apostles, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to, quote unquote, wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this, <coughs> excuse me, we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so you have two groups of people in the church that made up the church in Jerusalem. There were Hellenistic Jewish Christians and Hebraic Jewish Christians. Let me explain the difference. So Hellenistic Jewish Christians were uh, Greek-speaking people who had been scattered throughout the Mediterranean. They were Jews. They were believers. Uh, they were Judea, uh, Judea, They were part of Judaism. They were Hebrew, Hebraic Jewish Christians. They had come to faith in Christ. Okay, so they were believers in Jesus, but they, had, they spoke Greek and they had Greek customs. The Hebraic Jewish Christians uh, were Hebrew Jews uh, who, were stayed, who stayed in Jerusalem and lived in Palestine. They had Hebrew 
customs, and they spoke Hebrew. And so you had these two groups of people, and the apostles would take food. They would gather food, and they would gather money and buy food, and they would take the food, and they would distribute it to the widows. Now, widows in the first century were uh, the neediest people in society. They had no one to take care of them. And so the widows in the first century needed the church to take care of them. And that's what they did. They distributed food every day. Well, the Jewish, uh, Hebraic Jewish Christian widows were getting the favoritism. The Greek Jewish Christian widows were being overlooked. And so they started to complain. Now, a church that has been built on unity is all of a sudden starting to, to crack The unity is starting to fall apart. It's starting to crumble. And so the disciples, the apostles said, we got to do something about this problem. We got to do something about this. And so what they did was they appointed seven men. They asked asked the people to appoint seven men from among them to take care of this ministry. Um, This ministry, uh, the word in New Testament was written in ancient Greek. And the ancient Greek word for weight on tables is the word diakoneo, or it we get the word diakonos from it. And the word diakonos means the servant of a king, a table waiter or a servant, or a deacon. That's where the word deacon comes from. It comes from the word diakonos. And so this is a position, not necessarily of leadership, but of ministry, of servanthood, of service. That's what a deacon is or a deaconess is. They're a servant. They're appointed for a specific job for a specific amount of time. And that's what they did here in the first century church. They appointed seven men. Some of them were Greek. Some of them were Jewish. And so they appointed these seven men to take care of the needs of these Jewish Christian widows. Okay, so uh, crisis averted. Okay, Uh, in verse 5, we read about uh, who they chose. And check this out. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. So they give these guys over to the apostles. The apostles lay hands on them and they pray for them. uh, And they commission them to take care of these Jewish Christian widows. All right, crisis averted. Everything's great. Verse 7 says that the church enjoyed a time of peace and it started to grow again. So the church keeps growing and growing and growing. And the disciples learned something about delegation and how important delegation is. We'll get into that in just a second. Well, we continue on with the story of Stephen in verse 8. Look at this. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. So you got Stephen, one of those seven men who was appointed to be one of the first deacons in the church. Stephen is a man full of power and the Holy Spirit, and he uh, is a, a spiritual dynamo. And so he uh, was one of those first seven men uh, to be deacons, and he was doing signs and wonders, performing miracles in Jesus' name, and doing all kinds of cool stuff. And, well, what happened last week, the Jewish religious leaders became jealous of the apostles, and sure enough, they start to get jealous of Stephen. Okay, um, 
So there was a synagogue in Jerusalem called the Synagogue of the Freedmen. And the Synagogue of the Freedmen was made up of former slaves, people who were part of the slave class in Roman society. And those who had been set free or who had purchased their freedom from slavery, uh, the Jewish uh, slaves among them, created a synagogue in Jerusalem. And they all met in the synagogue. Well, people who made up the synagogue didn't like Stephen very much. Look at verse 10. They, they start to challenge him, and says, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So the Holy Spirit is, has filled Stephen, and whenever Stephen speaks, nobody can argue against him. Nobody can say, no, you're wrong. No, nobody can argue against Stephen. He's full of wisdom. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of power. Uh, he's full of all kinds of great things. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. So the synagogue of the freedmen these Jews who make up the synagogue start making up lies about Stephen. Oh, we've heard him say this. We've heard him do this. We've, we've seen him do this. We've heard him say these things. And they accuse him of blasphemy, calling God a liar and saying that God is not the one true God, that they should, he starts speaking, they accuse him of speaking against the temple and speaking against God. They secretly persuaded people to lie about Stephen. So they grab Stephen, they take him before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin was the Jewish ruling council of Israel. All right, so they take him to the Sanhedrin. Now imagine this, you are going before the Sanhedrin. Uh, it's like if you were called to testify before Congress on a subject that you know nothing about or that you should know nothing about. So they grab Stephen, they take him, take him to the Jewish ruling council. They, they, they're going to question him and they're going to quiz him uh, and they accuse him of blasphemy. Look at verses 13 and 14 says they produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow, Stephen, never stopped speaking against this holy place, the temple, and against the law, the law of Moses. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Wow. I mean, these are some serious allegations. These are some serious allegations against Stephen. You know what? They made the same allegations against Jesus not too long before this. In Mark chapter 14, verses 57 and 58, this is what happens right before Jesus is crucified. It says, Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him, against Jesus. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will build another not made with human hands. They lied about Jesus. He never said that. But they accused him of speaking against the temple. And then in verses 29 and 30 of Mark chapter 15, when Jesus is hanging on the cross and people come and they start insulting him and mocking him, this is what they said. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. Wow. The tune never changes. They accused Stephen of speaking against the temple and against the law of Moses. In other words, the Jewish religious leaders of his day couldn't let go of their tradition and they couldn't let go of their building. That never happens in the church today, does it? Oh, no. No. Tradition in the church? What are you talking about? The sacred cow of a building? <laughs> We've learned a few things, haven't we, since coronavirus broke out? You don't need a building to be a church. You can do this. You know, we set up like little house churches all over the northwest Indiana. Lots of them. 
But they were so tied to their tradition and they were so tied to their temple, so tied to their building, that they just couldn't let go of it to hear what Stephen was really saying. And in chapter 7, which we're going to study next week, Stephen gives a long sermon about the history of Israel and about how the history of Judaism points to Jesus Christ as the Savior, as the Messiah. We'll talk about that next week. But for today, uh, in, in verse 15, uh, there's a, a great little verse here. Verse 15 says that when they looked at Stephen, so they're making all these accusations against him. They're telling him that he's this, you know, he's speaking against the temple. He's blaspheming against God. He's blaspheming against the law of Moses. He's blaspheming against the temple. And he just sits there. And it says it looked like he had the face of an angel. And you're like, wow, Sean, you're just like Stephen. I see it now. No? Okay, all right, all right, that's good, that's fine, that's fine, I'll remember this. He looked like one who had been in the presence of God, because that's what angels are, angels are in the presence of God. And, and, they, it, and Luke records that they looked at Stephen and it looked like he had been in the presence of God. And he actually has a vision of Jesus in chapter 7, we'll get to that next week. But for today, I want to just close with these thoughts, okay? There's a, there's a leadership principle here. There's a, an important biblical principle for how we do church in the 21st century, and it's this. Everyone is in the band, but we all play a different instrument. Check this out, all right? In the early church, they had apostles, they had uh, elders in the churches, they had deacons in the churches, they had teachers, they had preachers, they had evangelists, they had deacons, they had servants, they had all kinds of things. Everyone is in the band, but every, not everyone plays the same interest, instrument. We all play a different instrument in the band. I mean, could you imagine being in a band and like, like everybody played bass? Oh my goodness. Worst band ever. That's why we all play different instruments. Because everybody has a different job. And in the church, we all need to know what our job is. Like when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, okay, when you believe in him and turn away from sin and repentance, you confess your faith, you get baptized, God fills you with his Holy Spirit, as it says in Acts 2.38, that repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit fills you, God gives you gifts, spiritual gifts. There may be uh, uh, several of them, there may only be one, but you are given a gift by God and that gift is to be used in his service in his kingdom. And that's your instrument. All right, my gifts, preaching, teaching, and leadership. All right, when I was in Bible college, they made us fill out a form. And what are your gifts, Sean? Preaching, teaching, leadership. You know what I do in the church? I lead, I preach, I teach. That's my sweet spot. At least that's what they tell me. Um, so that's the instrument I play, preaching, teaching, leadership. But you may have a different set of gifts. You may be more of a mercy person and, and you can, you know, lead up a ministry about like helping people, you know. Um, you may be a, a deacon type person where you've you got a servant's heart and you want to you wanna be a servant. You, you don't need all the glory. You don't need to be up on stage, but you want to be someone who is serving actively in the church, okay? We all play a different instrument, but we're all in the same band. We're all playing for the same conductor, Okay? So it's important to remember that just because we all play different instruments doesn't mean we're, all in, we're, not, we're not all in the same band. We're all in the same band. 
We're all working together. So if you're an elder, if you're a deacon, uh, if you are a ministry leader, uh, if you are a, a singer, if you're a musician, whatever you are, if you are, whether you are mopping floors or scrubbing toilets or preaching sermons uh, or playing a guitar or whatever you're doing or being an elder, we do it all for the glory of God. And we do it all within the strength and the power that he provides. And no one instrument is better than another. No one player is more important than another. But Sean, you're the pastor. And you know what? That doesn't mean anything. It just means that this is the gift that God gave me, and I'm going to use it. But it doesn't make me better than anyone else. I put my pants on the same way you do. You know, I, I roll out of bed with the same aches and pains you do. Maybe worse. You know, we're all in the band. And we all play different instruments. And when we play well together, like the church is awesome. The church is unstoppable. I mean, we make beautiful music when we're all on the same page and we're all playing for the same conductor. Does that make sense? I hope so. All right. So that's the biblical church leadership principle we need to learn. That delegation is important and that we all have a different job and we need to play together nicely. Okay? Second thing I need you to know is, is I want you to look up to Stephen. Stephen was full of four things. All right? there were, he was full of four things. And if you want to be like Steve, you've got to be full of these four things too. First thing is this. Stephen was full of faith. Stephen was full of faith. Now, that's important. You cannot be a Christian without faith. You've got to have faith in God. You have to believe in Jesus. But not just to believe in Jesus. The Bible says the devil believes in Jesus. Not just believe in Jesus, but to trust him. To believe God. Not just believe in God, but to believe God. His promises. The truth of his word. You need to believe God as well as believe in God. You've got to be full of faith. Now let's face it, faith is hard, right? Faith can be very difficult. Faith can be really hard. When you're going through the ringer, when life is getting harder and harder and harder by the day, and, and man, you turn on the news, and it's like, man, I don't want to watch that anymore. And then you turn on the TV shows, and it's like, I don't want to watch that anymore. You go to Facebook, you're scrolling through, it's like, I don't want to do this anymore. Anybody there? Anybody ready to just dump Facebook altogether? My goodness. I love y'all, okay? But sometimes I think to myself, do they listen to anything you say? And then I look in the mirror and it's like, do you listen to anything you say? Seriously, we got to tighten it up, folks. All right, I'm just, that, that, that's, on, this is on the side burner, but we got to tighten it up. People are watching, people are looking, people know that you're a Christian. People know you go to GFCC. They're like, man, if that's how people from GFCC act, go, I, mean, I don't know if I want to go there. Don't be the reason somebody doesn't follow Jesus because of what you post on Facebook. All right, sorry, sorry, off the soapbox now. Okay, so Stephen was full of faith. Secondly, Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Like I said, when you get baptized, God fills you with the Holy Spirit, and he gives you gifts and powers, not like superpowers, not like you're not going to start flying or anything. <laughs> it would be pretty cool if you did. But, um, but no, Christ fills you with his Holy Spirit, begins to transform your life from the inside out where you don't look like the person you used to be, you look brand new. 
Third, Stephen was full of God's grace. Man, grace recipients need to be grace givers. People who have received grace need to give grace, which means you and me, we need to be forgiving people. We need to be grace-filled people. We need to show grace to others, especially the grace that we've received. Lastly, Stephen was full of God's power. He was full of God's power. And that's what we need. And if you want to be full of God's power, you've got to do one thing. You've got to be pray. You have to pray. You've got to be a prayer. If you want power, you need to be a prayer. So be like Steve. Be full of faith. Full of the Holy Spirit. Full of grace. And full of power that comes from God. We need to be faithful servants. Faithful, spirit-filled servants like Stephen. And that's not going to happen until you surrender your life to Jesus. We need to be faithful, spirit-filled servants like Stephen. So my encouragement to you this week, for us all, let's learn to be like Stephen.